Okay, welcome everyone. It's Dashian Miller, and we are here with this week's episode of Kudan Radio. Of course, it's the podcast for serious martial artists, self-defense practitioners, and those of us in uh, Ninjutsu, right? Trying to figure this stuff out. Anyway, uh, quick question, and we'll dive into it more when I get back. But have you ever had anyone, like you were discussing martial arts, or they found out you were in martial arts, and the person said words to this effect? Why do you want to be violent? So we'll talk about that and more when we come back. So, the big question is this. How are self-defense and success-minded people like us, concerned citizens worried about protecting ourselves, our loved ones, and the things we care about from the monsters we know exist in the world? How do we train in a way that gives us the skills, knowledge, and understanding we need without becoming paranoid fighters or killers ourselves, and yet still allows us to be the hero protector the world needs us to be? That's the question. And this podcast will give you the answers. My name is Jeffrey Miller, and welcome to Kuden Radio, real training for real people in a real world. All right, and we are back. So, uh, uh, you know what, before we jump into things, quick admin announcement. Uh, let's not forget that uh, Daikomi Osai is right around the corner, right, January 6th, 7th, and 8th. Uh, got some cool stuff planned for you guys, one of which is... Um, we're going to take a look at kata from a whole different perspective. As a matter of fact, we're going to take a look at the idea of kata from just almost a uh, close, pretty close to a dozen perspectives, right? All the ways that you can, the same kata, right? Same technique. All the ways that you can uh, train with a kata that affect different types of skill sets, mental, emotional, uh, time, uh, time management, uh, all kinds of things, right? There's, there's a bunch of these things that, uh, that are going on that I was introduced to a long time ago. Um, yes, of course, right? Fight skills and all that's a part of it, but a whole bunch of other things that are going on, right, um, that uh, the kata can help, uh, fo- uh, help you work on. But, of course, you're focusing on one thing at a time. Anyway, that, I uh, wanted to get that out of the way. Got some scheduling things coming up. We'll make sure that gets posted onto the Facebook uh, Kuden uh, page and uh, goes out to the uh, email subscribers. And also, for those of you who have been asking uh, about the house and all that kind of stuff that's going on, uh, for those of you who know, right, I'm, we, we suffered a fire, uh, what, March of 21. And so things are moving along, and then all of a sudden our contractor just disappeared. And... Um, so we are left picking up the pieces for a house that is not even half finished and uh, found out that he stole in excess of $115,000. So uh, we've got to come up with that. Um, it's going to cost about 160 from what I was just told uh, to get things back on track. And yeah, uh, savings and all that kind of stuff almost gone. And the bank is still holding on to what? About 40000 um, to get a $160,000 project. Well, it's a $228,000 project, but 160 to get us back on track to finished. So um, anyway, if I seem a little bit disconnected, uh, I, I really appreciate everyone checking in, asking and all that kind of stuff. But, um, you know, we're, we're fighting on multiple fronts now between state attorney general's uh, office and law enforcement, criminal charges, those kind of things. And yes, hiring a lawyer, but that is depleting other resources that uh, could be going into the house. 
Um, so basically what's going to happen is we're going to be backing up to go forward. And, um, yeah, so anyway. Um, so anyway, let's dive into this, right? So uh, the title, right, uh, The Killing Sword, uh, more closely translated, The Murdering Sword or The Murderous Sword, right, and The Life-Giving Sword. So uh, tonight's uh, or today, right, depending on how you're listening to this, right, if you're on iTunes or Google Play or uh, one of the podcast directories, then it's whenever you, uh, you know, click play, right? If you're on live. Anyway, so uh, the foundation of this or the basis of this lesson uh, is on the treaties called the Hejo uh, Codentia, Codentio, sorry, Hejo Codentio, right? Uh, it was written by a samurai named Yagyu Munenori, uh, 1632, right? Uh, it was actually written, um, this was a, a secret, originally it was a secret teaching passed down for the students and practitioners in the Yagyu uh, Shinkage uh, lineage, right? Uh, but it's out there in the world now, right? So uh, you can find it under uh, several English language uh translation titles right uh the sword in the mind uh the i've got a bunch of little notes here uh the life-giving sword which is actually one chapter within this treatise it's like a three basically a three chapter kind of thing there's some footnotes and there's some um appendices and things like that right um but uh, so if you have something like that or you, you you've seen it or heard of it or whatever it's kind of the foundation but what I want to do is I want to kind of lay out some important pieces of this and then take a look at it more from a ninja's perspective. Okay. Um, and then, of course, you know, how we're going to use this, this knowledge or this wisdom uh, in today's world. And again, this stuff is very, very multi-layered, multifaceted. Um, uh, there's, uh, there's always this idea in the old scrolls, right? that you never write down the secret stuff, right? What you write down are the beginner's techniques, okay? Um, <clears throat> and that, you know, normally catches people's attention. They learn that stuff, and then they think, you know, they've got it. But, again, the whole purpose of Kuden, the whole purpose of this podcast, is to discuss things at this level, right? Um, you know, if you just want to be entertained by, uh, who does what to who in a physical technique. As a matter of fact, in the whole Heo uh, Codencio, right? Uh, Codencio, sorry. Um, there's, uh, there are no techniques described, like how to fight. Uh, it's a, originally it was about swordsmanship, but it's way deeper than that. I mean, it's, it's heavy into Zen. Uh, there's a whole bunch of things in there about governance, right? Uh, and how to uh, govern a province or a territory or whatever, right? So the reason for that is because it was requested and gifted, right? So it's two-way street, right? So Mununori wrote the this this quote-unquote book, right? Um, from two perspectives. One, it was a gift slash lesson for the shogun. Tokugawa Ieyasu, uh, Ieyasu, right? Um, shogun were never going to get into a sword fight, right? I mean, maybe way back in their history, in their, you know, past, but, you know, people in governance, that, that's not their, their thing. Right? They were surrounded by bodyguards, all that kind of stuff, right? But it was these other things, right? About 
mindfulness about governance, about how to be a ruler, how, you know, how to manage the kingdom, those kind of things, right? And simultaneously, simultaneously, right? It was written to be passed down as a, as a grand plan, we might say, right? For members of the Yagyu Shinkage school to follow, right? So, you know, well, if we're, if we're, you know, doing Bujinkan and there are these nine lineages and whatever, why the hell are we talking about some other lineages uh, stuff? Well, if you know, even, you know, I wasn't like Kazuma Sensei's right-hand man or even close, right? But if you even know half of what I know about how he went about uh, training and studying and all that kind of stuff, right? Um, he was always digging up uh, scrolls and, uh, you know, like Makimono and things like that to study the military strategy that was written down, uh, the, the, the lessons and whatnot of all these different lineages, right? So I find it very difficult to believe that one of the most, like, common or the most uh, popular treaties that was ever written. I mean, this is right up there with Musashi's Book of Five Ranks, right? So uh, a, a lot of this stuff, right, was, was pulled in or, or provided insight and whatnot, right? If people just focus on the nine schools, right, uh, it's not that they're not getting a lot, right? I mean, nine schools is a lot, right? But we need to see the Bujinkan very much like um, the Tendai Shu, right, of Japanese uh, Buddhism uh, is seen, right? It's seen as a repository of all things that could be found and, uh, and studied, right, as opposed to some of these uh, sects or lineages or whatever where it's one style, one system, one, um, one for lack of a better word here in the West, we would say one denomination, one focal point, whatever, right? Uh, like in the world of Mikyo, right? The secret knowledge, right? Uh, uh, most of you know that I'm a uh, initiated lay teacher uh, in the Tendai school of uh, Mikyo. Actually, there's one of three schools of Mikyo within Tendai, right? Um, and so, uh, but I'm an initiated lay, te lay teacher uh, in that. But in Tendai, right, there's like four pillars, right? And so, like, everybody has to do the the general knowledge kind of stuff, like the stuff that you would find just out on Buddhism, right? The Four Noble Truths, Noble Eightfold Path, the Twelvefold Chain of Dependent Origination, all that kind of stuff, right? Um, it's kind of like you're, like if you're in university or in college, right? That's your first year study. Everybody has to know that, right? And then you take a year through each of the other pillars, right? One is very Zen-like, one is very pure land-like, and then Mikyo, right? And then after that, you have to choose because you're going all in on that approach, right? And no one thing is better than any other, whatever, right? But here's this here's this thing, right? Uh, Tendai is known as the mother of Japanese Buddhism because all other sects, sects, S-E-C-T-S, right? Uh, just in case I'm being all mush mouth and you're getting all perverted. But anyway, right? So, um, but Shingon, right, is this other uh, form of uh, Mikyo, right? But in Shingon, it's just Mikyo, right? So, again, it's like a lot of martial arts schools or martial arts systems where it's a thing, right, as opposed to being this 
broader body of knowledge that allow us to to move around and, and have way more options, right? It's it's not about conforming to the art. It's about getting the art to conform to your life and your needs and, and those kind of things, right? Actually, it's a balance between the two. But either way, right? So our, our jumping off point. So what I want to do just very, very quickly, I'm going to jump around between these three chapters and these three definitions of, of the sword, right? I'll, I'll focus on the two that I put in the title um, just so we, we get a, a gist about this, right? Because what we're really talking about is using, in this case, I'll start with the sword, right? And then we'll expand out from there. But it's about using our knowledge, it's about using our skills from a moral and ethical base, right? It's about developing a mind that knows when, right? How, to what extent, right? Not just the what and how of like how to draw, how to cut, how to kill, those kind of things, right? Of course we're learning all those, which kind of loops back to what I asked before we officially started things off, right? Um, you know, I, I remember a long time ago, right? Uh, it, and it really threw me then, right? But I've had several people along the way ask, right? Uh, once they find out that I'm doing martial arts or, you know, doing a whole self-defense thing or whatever, right? Uh, they just look at me and, and some people had a look of terror on their face. Some people, um, you know, kind of a confused, perplexed look like, why? Why? Right. I don't know if you can relate to this or not, but the question was, why do you want to be violent? Right. And. You know, after years of thinking about this, right, um, the answer is I don't want to be violent. Okay, but I may need to be. And if I may need and if I need to be to protect my family, whatever other people of my choosing, if I need to be and I can't, then I am no help to anyone in that situation. And I get it, right? I mean, you know, the other half of me is a monk, right? Um, compassionate, wanting peace. And, and of course, we all want peace, right? Which is why, you know, there's an admonition in the Togakure school, which is that a ninja always uh, draws his weapon last, right? Um, it's, but that's not just, that's not just a ninja thing. That's a samurai thing. Okay. You don't act, you don't act in this way unless like it's that last thing because there's nothing else. Right. Um, but again, it's based on intent, right? The ninja side of that thing is not just that you draw it as a last resort. The, from the ninja perspective is if you have to unsheath your sword, then you've already failed because the ninjas, the epitome of ninjutsu and ninja operation operations is to work your will without. The short version is to work your will without action, but that's a bad English translation. It's to work your will, to accomplish the aim, to accomplish the goal, but no one perceives, no one even thinks that you're the one who did it, right? Uh, it could seem like accident, luck, Whatever. Right. But again, that's the epitome of invisibility. Right. Um, what's interesting is that there's a lot of people that are claiming to be teaching or uh, studying needed to, but they have to be the center of attention. They have to be. It has to be known.
that they did it, right? They lead with their ego. Their ego is their shield kind of thing, right? So anyway, all right, so um, that's the gist of my notes. Right? I just I needed to get this stuff out very, very quickly and didn't want to miss anything. So, uh, uh, so if you see me looking down a lot, I'm just I'm kind of making sure that I'm staying on track. Okay, so um, let's see. Do, 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 do. Covered that stuff. Okay, so again, um, the Hejo Cadencio, right? Cadencio, right? Um, or Cadencio, right? Dencio is scroll, right? Teaching, that kind of thing, right? Um, Hejo, military strategy, you could call it the art of war, whatever you want to call it, right? But that's that's the gist. Right. And so uh, one translation for the title is the hereditary book of the art of war. Hereditary means it's it was supposed to be kept within the family. Right. And again, just like the book of five rings kind of got out in the wild and uh, people are finding uses for it outside of military strategy. And there's a reason for that as well. There's a there's a chapter in there that, again, is kind of a springboard. Right. So anyway. The, uh, the, the, the book or the treaties is divided into three chapters, right? First chapter is, uh, known as the killing sword or the murderous sword, right? Satsujin Ken, right? We'll talk about an alternate translation of the, of, or an alternate pronunciation of the kanji, uh, as we go through, right? Uh, chapter two is on the life-giving sword, Katsujin Ken, right? Again, there's an alternate translation of that. And then, uh, the third chapter is just no sword, right? Um, uh, no sword would be like Mukan, that, that idea. I, I don't, I, I, for whatever reason, didn't jot that, that part down, but it's okay. So anyway, <clears throat> again, this is, I just want to cover this as a quick foundation and then kind of springboard away from Yagu Shinkage, right? So we're going to take this idea and ninjanize it, right? Okay. So the killing sword or the murderous sword, right, there's, again, in, in all of these things, there's always an omote and an ura, right? An omote, the frontal, obvious, uh, conventional way of looking at something or the way it might be presented to make it, to make it okay, right? Um, but then there's this alternate, right? Hidden, not so obvious way of looking at things, right? Again, I said this, this treaties was, was, you know, there's a heavy, heavy Zen, uh, presence to it, right? Um, and that has to do with thinking and the way we process the world and perspective and, per, uh, perception, uh, viewpoint, those kind of things, right? So anyway, all right. So the killing sword, right? Uh, uh, Ken, right? Um, also can be pronounced setsuninto, setsu often when people hear, see ken at the end of each of these things, right, they think the same kanji is being used, right, so it means sword, right, um, except that it's not, right, in the original treaties, the way the kanji is written, um, you actually, we're actually pointing at two different things, okay, so, um, in this one, setsunin tol, tol is the same kanji for sword, for katana, right? Tol, blade, right? For katana. That's the alternate pronunciation. Um, so it, it puts a different 
kind of perspective on things, right? I mean, in this case, um, it's more of a, it's, it's the thing, right? Here's, it's a blade, right? You're using it like a blade, right? So it's not that there's not a whole lot of thought behind it, but between these, it's the intention that makes all the difference, right? Um, kind of reminds me of the time um, I, w- I was uh, training with my Miko teacher, and we were discussing something called um, uh, Vajra anger, right? Vajra anger, because everybody thinks, you know, in, in Buddhist teachings or in, in meditative stuff or whatever, everything's about bliss, and so therefore there's no anger, there's no angst, there's no frustration or whatever. And that's not true. That's not true. It's what it's, it's the, it's the intent behind it. There's a, there's attachment and all that. But on the mandala, there's this concept of Vajra anger, right? But Vajra anger, right? It looks like every other anger. As a matter of fact, it can be pretty freaking intense, right? Like a lightning bolt, right? But it is quick. It's clean. And then it's left. You drop it. You let it go, right? So it, like every other mind, uh, uh, mental state or mode or whatever, right? Um, it's a tool, right? So in this case, it's very much like a sword, okay? It's based on truth, it's quick, it's clean, and then it's gone, right? So I'm thinking about this and thinking about the way the teacher's teaching this, and I'm thinking, how is that different than, or how is that different from, the spoiled brat or the manipulator or whatever who throws a freaking temper tantrum. I don't care if it's a kid or an adult yelling and screaming and whatnot because they didn't get what they wanted. And then when they get it, like it's like somebody threw a light switch and they're acting like nothing ever happened. Right. It's gone. Oh, thank you very much. Right. Okay. How, how is that different? Right. So I don't fester on those things. Teacher's right there. I always take advantage of my teacher being present, right? So I ask, here are these two conditions, what's the difference? And he said, what is the difference? The difference, see, if we, if we put the Vajra anger in, in, context, in context, uh, one of the analogies I use is, let's say I'm walking down the street and there's two kids screwing around on the, on the you know, uh, next to the, next to the road, right? on the curb or the edge of the sidewalk or between two park cars or whatever. And they're pushing and shoving and there's a car coming. Right. And I yell, Hey, get the hell off, off the street. Right. Get over here. Whatever. Right. So what's going to happen? Well, two things. One, they're going to be pissed off at me. Right. They're going to stop whatever that they were doing because they need to stop that to be pissed off at me. Right. I don't care if they were fighting or they were playing or screwing around or whatever. Right. But why would I not be the enlightened monk? Oh, young children, this is not safe. Perhaps you should move away from the... They're not freaking listening to that, right? They're pushing and shoving and doing whatever they're doing, laughing and whatever, okay? I do what I do because it needs to be quick, it needs to be sharp, and it needs to reach them and make them change in an instant, okay? But... The big thing is when it's done, right? I walk down the street and I don't walk down the street going, fuck your kids, they didn't even know whatever. Okay. I let go. Okay. Go back to thinking about whatever it was that I was doing before. 
I did that little thing or whatever, right? They're going to be festering about it for probably for a lifetime, right? But what was the purpose, right? The purpose was to get them to stop, okay? I dropped it just like the, the spoiled brat, right? But what's the difference? The difference is intent, okay? The spoiled brat, why are they throwing anger around? Because it's a tool. But why, what's it a tool for? It's a tool for them to get what they want regardless of the damage done in the process. Why did I do what I did? To get them to stop. Had nothing to do with me. Weren't even my kids. I had no skin in the game other than compassion to make sure they didn't get hurt. That's it. Okay? So... The intent makes all the difference, right? So, again, this goes back to morals and ethics, right? Why do we act? When do we act? And when we use our skills, what's, again, what's the grand plan, right? Okay? So, again, the killing sword or the murderous sword, right? Um, one, of the, one of the ideas behind this, right, is in trying to express it in a positive light, Okay? So it's the idea of using force as a remedy to disorder and violence. Okay. Police officers are often called to do this. Riot control, SWAT, whatever, right? Um, where there's a bunch of damage and, and all that kind of stuff being done and bad things have to be done to make it stop. Okay. But gone to taken too far. What happens? Right? Anybody that's stepping out of line. This justification here can be used for, you know, hell, there's people running around the world now that think that if you say something too harshly, if you don't agree with them or whatever, that you have actually physically assaulted them. Right? So in their hands... This thing, right, justification would be I'm going to stop the violence coming from you even though you're only using words, even though you're only using or you're coming at things from a perspective that's different than mine. But to them, that can be seen as uh, violence, disorder, right? They're, they're messing with the cosmic scheme of wokeness or whatever you want to call it right but the the essence the essential nature of this satsujin uh ken or tetsunin to right is that it's it's misused right the sword is misused right military action uh what do they call that um uh military uh, or martial law, right, is imposed or whatever to, to gain control, right? So in this case, right, the skills, the knowledge or whatever is being used to take the life of the weak, to, uh, to um, propagate evil, right? And eventually, right, if somebody does, you know, engages in violence for too long, right, it just completely warps them. They lose themselves. They become that thing. 
right? Um, it's one of the problems within the spy world. It's one of the problems within undercover law enforcement, those kind of things, right? Um, you know, you might have to go undercover and present yourself and act and walk and talk and, and whatnot like the people that, in, you know, in this group that you've infiltrated, right? But the, the, the danger is that the longer you do that, you risk losing yourself and becoming that which you were trying to stop, becoming exactly that which it's like, um, let's see, um, a lot of people get involved in martial arts and, and this kind of training because they were bullied, right? They were weak, uh, low self-confidence, all that kind of stuff, right? And so people with stronger personalities, uh, whatever, beat on them, you know, intimidated them, manipulated, whatever, right? So they get involved in this. But the training just stayed within the physical. There was no training for mental, uh, you know, the mind work. There was no training for preserving the light in the heart, right, that kind of stuff. And so what ends up happening very often is these people, they stick around long enough, they become a black belt, they, they develop skills, right, and they end up becoming the very thing that drove them into the martial arts to begin with, right? They'll become the, you know, do what I say or I'll kick your ass kind of person, right? Uh, or they'll be the, the uh, arrogant ass or whatever, right? And somebody will say, be nice, man. Don't do that, right? And they'll go, what's he going to do? Kick his ass, right? So they become the very thing that they were trying to be able to handle, right? So... Um, the idea here is we're talking about the very same blade, right? The very same knowledge, the very same skill sets and all that. But in this case, and again, you have to read the book, right? I mean, there's, it goes into it way much more deeply. Although here's the, here's the caveat, right? And here's the warning. Like all really, really, really deep stuff, if you're looking for entertainment, or egos looking to just memorize some stuff so it can sound like it knows, I promise you, you will get bored and you will stop reading. That's part of the secret behind it. It's written in a way that layers things, right? And again, that heavy Zen stuff, people think Zen is just like, oh, and letting go of things, right? But <laughs> try to read something by D.T. Suzuki on Zen, right, and see if it doesn't lock up your brain, okay, but um, it's, it's, it's not going to be entertaining, right, if you're looking for how to fight, um, in this treatise on the sword and sword strategy, you might be disappointed, unless you're looking at it from the perspective of dealing with conflict in any realm, right, where you don't need a sword or the sword is symbolic of whatever tool you're using, which talk about that more, right? Anyway, chapter two is on the life-giving sword, Katsujin uh, Ken, or Katsunin Ken. In this case, Ken is written with the kanji for uh, the, alter the alternate pronunciation is Tsurugi, Tsurugi, right? So they're not the same thing, right? I mean, they're both blades, right? But in this case, you're looking at something that has to do more with prevention and protection, 
Okay. So again, the more common, right, the more conventional uh, translation is on the, this idea of prevention in conflict, right? So, uh, you know, if I wear a weapon, right, I don't care if it's a sword, sidearm, somebody knows I'm wearing a clip knife or whatever, right, the blade itself is now a deterrent because people understand that, look, they better, they better have their shit together because you've already neutralized any surprise kind of thing or, or any kind of uh, conventional kind of might makes right kind of thing, right? So they've got to up their game. And two, because it's sheathed and you're carrying it, right? Um, they don't know how skilled you are with it. They don't know how, how you know, uh, they don't have good you are with it, right? So, and again, unless you're running around town bragging and all that uh, about why you have it and who you're going to do what to and, and you don't put up any shit or whatever, which, see, that's already part of the killing sword mentality. That's very, very different, right? Looking for a reason to use it. Um, you know, nobody's going to do Even if that's why you're doing it, right, the fact that you're coming at it from a prevention thing, with a prevention perspective, would already have you not telling everybody that you have it, where you carry it, what you do with it, how often you train, where you can be found, whatever, right? Okay? But the life-giving uh, sword on the, the deeper side, right, it counters the, the killing sword side, right? So it, it's, again, it's about, um, it embodies all that's righteous, right? Um, it's, it destroys evil. Right. And it cultivates the spirit. Right. But then so does proper training. Right. But it's not simply to kill. Okay. It's not simply to kill, but to wipe out evil. Right. There's a quote by Hatsumi Sensei, and I had it up earlier on my phone because I didn't want to misquote. Right. But it's again one of those things that he often said in class. Uh, crap, let me find it. Let's see. There it is. Okay. So, um, he said, I'm not teaching you how to fight. I'm teaching you how to control evil. That's what we're really doing here. Okay? But again, the goal that we set determines how we train, what we train, how long we train. Right? Okay? So, uh, again, what you have are these two perspectives, right? What's the intent? I know and have had conversations with many martial artists, many people, really, really, really good fighters. They don't have their heart and their, their ego in check at all. They're easily triggered to violence. They're angry, if not all the time, a lot, right? We all get angry. Okay? What kind of thoughts pop up when you're angry? I have somebody that's very, very close to me at the moment that, um, you know, and I get it, right? I mean, they have, they have justification for, right? Do I believe that they'll ever act on it? No. Okay, that's my job. But the thoughts that they have because of the anger, right? Okay. Do I have the occasional thought of doing somebody in who has done me wrong? 
maybe, 3% of the time, when I have these thoughts about this person, okay? But <laughs> the devious ninja side of me knows that if I kill him, I can't make him suffer. I can't make him pay because he won't be around, right? It's not the same. It's not the same, right? So that's okay. But knowledge comes in many forms, and knowledge allows me that when the trigger is pulled, a figurative trigger, not a literal trigger, right? When it's pulled, the person gets attacked from three or four different uh, directions at the exact same time. That happens this week. Those of you on audio can't see the smile I just made. Anyway, so uh, I highly recommend uh, that you read one of the versions uh, of the book, either The Sword in the Mind, which I have, right, um, or The Life-Giving Sword, um, just two different authors, two different translators. Uh, I haven't read uh, The Life-Giving Sword, um, but I probably will at some point just so – just like I've read uh, multiple uh, multiple translations of the Shin, uh, Shoninki, uh, those kind of things, right? The, the well, the treaties on uh, ninja and how they operated. More to the gaming side, most of the things that are released out in the world that people have access to, which is why they think that ninjutsu was always just this black clad guy sneaking around and whatnot, right? That's low level ninjutsu, and and I don't mean that in a bad way, right? It's field operatives, right? But rarely, if ever, do you find anything on Chunin, right? The Chunin, right? That form of ninjutsu, right? Um, the the guy that's uh, about psychological warfare and uh, more like the M in the, in the James Bond uh, movies where, you know, you only see M and Bond, but what about 007s 1 through 6 and 8 and 9, right? Uh, every once in a while, one's mentioned because he got killed or something, but... Um, He's managing the things that the higher ups need to know and sending the field operatives out to do things. But they're completely different skill sets because the information comes back in. How do I translate this? How do I make sure I don't have a double agent in my midst? How do I, right? All that kind of stuff, right? There's a, it's a whole different realm of ninjutsu, right? It's not just gaining plus. It's not that. It's, right? Can they fight? Yeah, but they don't they don't need to scale walls and, and get in sword fights and things like that, right? So those skill sets may not be as high, but get into a psychological battle with them and see what happens, right? And then that's different from the Jonin, right? Which is what we're trained uh, trained to be from Hatsumi Sensei, right? Everybody's focusing on the gaining stuff, right? Because that's ninety percent of the training. Because it's what entertains people and it gets mo more people in, right? It's a lead generation machine, right? So, um, but the Jonin, right? He's the philosopher. He's the one that's like literally invisible out in the world. Nobody has a clue, right? That they're the head of a major ninja organization. The only reason why people knew about Hatsumi Sensei was because he took this out into the world. He did it on purpose. Okay. Takamatsu Sensei went to his grave, his family and friends not knowing that he was a ninja until he saw it in his obituary. Right? That's a Jonin. Holy shit, that's a Jonin. Right? So, anyway. Um, so, 
let's, let's just talk about chapter three. And then, like I said, I'll do a springboard here and then we'll open things up to question. Right. Chapter three on no sword in the treaties is about on the on the conventional side. Right. Using environmental factors as an aid. Right. So it's still about swordsmanship, but it's recognizing things that have nothing to do with the sword, but have everything to do with winning a battle. Okay. A lot of my personal students um, have heard me say this again and again when we're talking, when we're doing certain drills or certain uh, types of mental honing practices and things like that, right? This is not a self-defense technique, but it has everything to do with self-defense, right? So in this case, what you're looking at are things like um, the use of high ground, right? So if I can take high ground, uh, defense is easier or, or maintaining control of a region is easier, right? Um, the, the lay of the land, right? The contour of the ground, right? Um, uh, can be used as a factor, right? So if I can get the opponent to have to cross unstable or wet or slippery or whatever, right? Um, there's even something in the treaties where a single stone, a single pebble, right? A loose pebble could be the thing that turns the entire tide in your favor, right? This guy could be more uh, more skilled than you. He could be winning, whatever. Next thing you know, he steps on something, slips a little bit out from under his footing, and then that, that gives you that opening, right? People don't tend to consider these things, right? They get involved in martial arts training with the mindset that this is going to make them invincible. When the reality is, is that any technique can be beaten, right? Any technique could be the right answer or the shittiest answer, right? The shittiest option you could ever have in any given situation if you're not able to assess context and know what it is that you need, right? Or where things are going, right? Um, all kinds of things like that, right? So there's all kinds of things about terrain and whatever, right? But it's, it's about environmental factors, right? Um, if we're, you know, um, in a tree line or a wooded line or whatever, and I'm forcing him to come in after me. Okay. Just like, uh, you know, turning the tables on, on someone. Um, I, I learned this, uh, this little strategy thing from a ninja context way back in the day where uh, the analogy was uh, you're, in a, um, you're in a dark house, right? Uh, could be some old rickety thing. You were trying to run away from somebody and get away from them. Right. So you run into this place. Right. But it's kind of like the Jason Voorhees movies and whatnot. Right. They're, you know, they're coming after you. They're bigger. They're stronger. They're meaner. They're going to kill you. Whatever. Right. But it also could be your own house in the middle of the night. Right. So how. Right. How do you turn the tables on somebody that is chasing you down and they've got all the advantage? Well, from a ninja's perspective, you find the darkest corner you can find and you slip into it. And wait until they walk by. And now you're behind them. And now you have choice. Now you have option. You can sneak out in the opposite direction and take off. Unsatonso strategy, right? Escaping rat strategy. Or sneak up behind them, break their freaking legs, or, or whatever you're going to do from behind, right? But as long as you're on the defense and they're chasing you down and they're going to catch up to you and their advantage is so big that you're screwed, you got to come at it from a different direction, right? 
So this is using territory as well. This is using, not using my skills to do this, right? I mean, I'm not using my sword, my overt skills, right? Not using the physical techniques, right? I'm going to just completely flip the situation so that when I use my skills, he's unguarded. I've neutralized his advantage by merely letting him pass by, and now I'm behind him. Okay? It's very, very different. Okay? So uh, it's, again, using the environment, using environmental resources to one's fullest advantage. Right? Uh, showing up early so you can position yourself so that, you know, the sun's in his eyes, not in yours. But if they are, if the sun is in your eyes, right, taking up, you know, uh, in fact, if you saw the slide that I held up, right, uh, I was using this Kasumi uh, no Kamai, right? Um, Kamai that shoots across the temples, right? Kasumi, right? But you can use that um, by positioning the blade, right, between the light source that's supposed to be blinding you, right, and him like the visor of a cap, right? So now, right, you've got that, and you can shift the blade like a mirror to flash things back uh, in his eyes. You can do the same thing with a, with a Hasono Kamai or a Tenchi no Kamai, right? Swords here, just turn it so the blade's flat, pointing out, right? So you can catch sunlight uh, or any kind of light, right? That's, that's, it could be a straight light, right? So maybe that's not what I have, but maybe it's my glasses. Maybe it's, you know whatever, right? Um, if your cell phone, right, has uh, a shiny surface, of course it does, right? The glass side, okay? And, and figuring out how to do those kind of things, right? So that's, that's again, that's, but this whole thing, even though I talked about Omote and Uda within this, that was still the Omote, right? The Uda side of this is in letting the sword be symbolic of any tool that you're using, of any weapon that you're using, right? Even your words, right? Your verbal communications, right? Do you know anybody that practically every time they open their mouths, right? It's to elevate themselves and to shit on everybody else, right? To, it's always about them, right? They're, you know, they, they, you know, they judge somebody weaker than them, right? They're dismissive. They're, you know, screw you, whatever, right? You can't be of any help to me, so therefore, right? Um, they're always putting people down or holding them down, whatever, right? Um, but then there's other people that are motivational, right? They're compassionate. They, you know try to always have a kind word for people, right? Now, should we have both? Of course, right? Like I said, I don't want to be violent, but I recognize the need. And there's certain context, right? And if somebody can't or won't speak up for themselves, well, here comes Jeff, okay? Because sometimes it needs to be done, okay? And the idea with the life-giving sword, remember, destroying evil, Right. One of the things that allows people to act with impunity. Right. Is that most people don't say anything to them. Right. And so they feel that since there's no resistance. Then, you know, 
since nobody will stop them, then they confuse that with nobody can stop them. And every once in a while, what they need is a mirror. And they need to be treated the way they're treating other people. And I am willing to be that mirror. The overt side of things is it is the the representation of a clear mind that reflects back exactly what's in front of it. It's not warped. It's not it doesn't distort things, right? It's not one of those minds. Okay. So there's this clarity. Okay. Um, it also uh if it's positioned correctly on the Kamiza and you stand at the right place in front of it, um, it reflects back the image of the keeper of the knowledge or wisdom of the universe. Okay? You, right? But at the same time, right, that mirror can be held up so that evil's uh, shit is used against it, right? What killed Medusa? You couldn't look at Medusa without turning to stone. What did the warrior use to kill Medusa? A mirror. Here you go. Take a look at that. Okay. So uh, it's not about might making right. It's about when. Right. The, the life-giving sword uh, and the killing sword together. Right. The, the Both of them combined is the, is the use of the sword at the last moment. So, again... <laughs> Right. There's an omotheated oda. Right. So from one side, we've got we draw our weapon last as a last resort. We use our skills as a last resort. Right. And only for rightness. I know the words in the in the treaties were translated as righteousness, but in Mikio we have the concepts of righteous, which is on the samsaric side. Right. Bad karma. Right. Anybody who walks around like they're righteous. They use that righteous indignation, right? I'm better than you, and that's what allows me to do this. When I was in the military, right, somebody uh, who was higher ranking, right, would always, I mean, they didn't understand how low they made themselves look. When you ask them, you know, guys, why, why are we, and they would grab, like, back then we wore a rank on our collars. Now they wear it right over their heart, which is really stupid, because snipers look for rank, right? <laughs> so that's stupid. Right. And it also brought out a whole bunch of sexual harassment things because um, women that somehow feel insecure as members of the military. Holy shit. Right. Um, you have to find rank so you know how you're supposed to salute or treat somebody or whatever. Right. Well, guys would look down here to find the rank and women would translate that as what? Yeah. So um, and the. the the bold ones, right, would go, I'm not looking at those, right? You're in a freaking military uniform. If you think that's flattering, right, then you're retarded, right? I was looking for your rank. But either way, right? So, but back then, what they would do to answer the question is they'd go, and they would just, so those of you on audio only can't see what I'm doing, grabbing my collar where the rank would be pinned, right, or embroidered, and they would push it out in front of themselves like, you do what I say because I outrank you. Right. There didn't have to be logic. There didn't have to be anything like that, right? It's just, just this demeaning crap, right? And it probably came because they were treated that way too, and they always thought, you know, when I get to be that, then I'll be in charge, right? 
So, you know, the child never grew up. It just grew into a grown-up version of the same shit, right? So, anyway. Um, but what I want you to think about is, is this idea of, right, the intent, right? What's the intent behind the action, okay? Uh, again, lots of conversations with people that in this art and in other arts and whatnot that, you know, I, I can't not. You know, if somebody calls my mom a name, I can't not step up because that's what you do. One of two things are going on there. Either the person is so indoctrinated into this this reactionary mechanism that they can't help themselves, right? Because they'll lose face or other people will look down on them or whatever, right? Um because if they already know that their mom is not that thing that they're being called, right? What, what, okay. This person has, has, there's a, there's a big danger to this, right? Because if you have to, and that's, these are words that, that, that have been expressed, right? I, I have to, right? I just, it takes everything I have to not, right? Dude, you're going to be lured to your own death to your own demise. It's just, if you can't help yourself, it's kind of like not being in control of your own mind. If you're not in control of your mind, then your mind's in control of you. If, you. if you're not in control of these things because you have to, then you're fodder for everybody that understands that, knows your weaknesses, and knows how to manipulate you. Okay? You don't even need some somebody that knows or has the level of degree that I or other Daishihan or Soka has. Right? Just need somebody that has the balls to do it. Right? Just set you up. Or the other thing, remember I said it was two? You're afraid that the statement is true. Usually what goes us into anger is we believe that the thing is or might be true whether it's said about us or whatever, right? Yeah. If I were working in a, in a company or corporate setting or whatever, um, I know what my work ethic is. And if somebody said, dude, you just sit around all the time, I would look at him and smile and go, yep, you're right. Okay? Because the first couple hours or the first week on the job, I figured out the system so well that I, yeah, I can take extra breaks. You're right. I'm sitting around more than everybody else is. But if you think you're pushing my buttons because I'm going to get defensive, right? Defensiveness comes from either the angry mind of somebody who's constantly judging everybody else, right, as lesser than them. And so, therefore, this, these lesser people are angering them because they don't live up to their standards. Or they know or are afraid that that thing is true. So, anyway. Um, so what are the ways, right? Okay. How do we use the environment? Right? What's the environment? Okay. It could be the, the, the room or whatever that you're in. It could be the house you're in. It could be the, the landscape or whatever, right? It can also be the context of the relationship. Right? How do you navigate those things? How do you use those to your benefit? Okay. Um, my wife, uh, you know, we're going through this, this problem with the house and all that. Um, and, you know, she's not every day, 
but a lot of the time, right, she's back where she was right after the fire, right, that traumatized because, right, this person pulled out and, like, everything that was being built, you know, it's like adding insult to insult or injury to injury kind of thing, right? So am I that way? Am I processing things that way? No. But there's certain things that she needs, certain things that she needs from me, right? Not always being the rock or whatever, right? Sometimes it's silence, sometimes whatever, right? What's the context, right? Sometimes she needs me to step up and be the champion. Sometimes, okay? But the ability to pay attention and recognize those kind of things, right? Not going to be resentful because that's what she needs. She hasn't spent 40 plus years working on this stuff. And even if she did, it might still not be the same outcome. Right? Um, but what's the context of the relationship? What's needed? Okay? What puts you in an advantageous position to either be able to help or to not be hurt by people in the workspace? in the organization or the group of people that you hang out with in the, or at the family picnic when somebody's being, you know, an ass or what, what's the context, right? Uh, I know somebody who uh, has children, right? And they always make their partner take the kids to certain movies or to sit and watch certain movies because uh, kids' movies are, you know, beneath them. It's not about you. It's about you spending time with your children in an environment. And you know what? You might surprise yourself and find out that, oh, shit, that was pretty cool, right? You might learn something from that, right? But I don't think they can do that, right? Not in this context anyway, right? Because they don't like the movie, so therefore they're not going to go watch it, even though, right, their child's going to – their child's not gauging – whether or not they like the movie, the child's gauging what kind of time was spent. It's very different, right? So let's remove the sword. Let's remove weapons, right? Because ken, right, can be translated as fist in Nijutsu. Ken is not just uh, blade. It's not just fist. It's weapon or tool, right? What is it that we're using? So... Ultimately, it can just be reduced to our actions, thoughts, words, deeds, sanmitsu, the triple secrets for success, right? So when we're acting, when we're thinking, when we're speaking, when we're planning, is it to build things up? Is it for growth? Is it to move us closer to the goals and the things? Is it in, in alignment with the things that we say are important to us? Or is it talking about somebody or uh, trying to exclude? And I mean, sometimes I absolutely you exclude people, right? Just, everybody wants to be all inclusive. Well, you include the wrong elements and you end up with shit. And I don't mean fertilizer either. Okay? So this is a natural part of things. You exclude those that will not be conducive, Right? But, what, again, what's the context, right? So if it's so that everybody has a good time, I include everybody, right? If it's 
the accomplishment of a goal, then sorry, people have, a, have to have a certain level of aptitude. They have to have a certain work ethic. They have to have a certain uh, level of loyalty and commitment and passion and whatever. And even if it's not to the, you know, entirely to this mission, it's this mission serves some other vision or whatever that they have personally for their life, right? I will absolutely exclude those who will not serve or can't because they can't produce the level of output that's needed, right? So hate me if you want. It's okay. I've got broad shoulders, see? Well, you want the podcast, can't see. But anyway, all right. So um, that's the, the idea. What's the intent behind the action, right? Is it serving, right? Is it protecting? Is it nurturing? Is it, um, is it cultivating you and your growth in some way, right? Um, or is it tearing things down, right? And that's, that's the gist, right? So, but again, but again, it's not just the swords, right? It's a sword treaties, but it's just as applicable for unarmed, right? When will you use your techniques? When will you act? When will you let things slide? Okay, again, intent. Because ultimately, the killing sword, the murderous sword, Ultimately, right, you know that old saying, you live by the sword, you die by the sword. You live by the gun, you die by the gun. It's the same. It's the same. Right. So anyway, uh, so let's turn it over. Right. So, James, let's open you up there. Questions, comments, anybody? No questions. A uh, couple comments came in from Tori, Hattori, Hanzo, Bolden, yeah. that Jordan Peterson speaks on something similar. He talks about having the ability to do harm and self-control. And Yeah, he does. Um, as a matter of fact, I've, I've listened to a lot of his, uh, his things, and uh, whether they were university uh, lectures to students, or interviews or whatever, right? And I'm like, holy crap, that's that's from Mikio over here. That's from that that but and I don't know that he ever studied those things because ultimately wisdom is wisdom, right? I mean, you can dress it up any way you want, but nobody has a curb on things. We have brand names attached to things, but ultimately, right, it is what it is. Uh, one of my favorite books, and I, I think I've mentioned this in the past, and I highly, highly recommend it if you can find it. Right? It's called One Minute Wisdom by uh, – he's, he's deceased now, but um, there's a priest. right? Uh, his name was um, Anthony DeMello. And uh, One Minute Wisdom is just a bunch of these little short snippets right? on each page. There's a, there's a heading, right? And sometimes – it's like a Zen thing, right? You, you see the heading, okay, this is about commitment or whatever. Then you read the little story kind of thing, right? Which takes 60 seconds or less to read. Could take a lifetime to figure it out. But um, the most, the, the coolest thing about the book to me is the very beginning because there's a, the central character in the, 
in all the stories is just known as the master. Okay. But in the introduction, he says that the master could be a Catholic priest, a Buddhist monk, uh, a rabbi, uh, whatever, right? It's not about denomination. It's not about brand name, right? Um, it's about somebody who truly gets it, right? And uh, the, the first little story before you even hit the, the I'm going to call them chapters, but they're just, you know, uh, again, they're snippets, right? Um, and again, it's one of these little stories where the disciple is questioning the master and the disciple says, um, one minute wisdom, one minute, surely that's too short. And the master says, it's 59 seconds too long, right? You know, just like that, a whole idea of, right, looking takes an instant. Seeing could take a lifetime. Hearing takes an instant. Listening takes much longer and much more focus. So, yeah. Um, so Jordan Peterson, a whole bunch of people speak about this stuff um, as well. Anything else? Who else? Well, Tori also said the sword of doom demonstrates what violence uncontrolled can have negative effects on character. Hmm. Yeah. Um, some people, some people seek out conflict, right? The sword of the, the life giving sword is about preventing conflict, right? Preventing that kind of stuff from happening. So how do you deter it? How do you use it or carry yourself, right? Um, speaking of Gordon Peterson, um, he was interviewed by Joe Rogan. And uh, as a part of the interview, one of the topics that they talked about, um, I know it wasn't Joe Rogan. Sorry. It was um, Jocko. What's his name? Um, you know what I'm talking about? Right? His own podcast, right? Um, ex-Navy SEAL, um, talking about, you know, when you go in the military, right? One of the first lessons you learn is how to stand up, how to stand tall, right? Stand tall, head up, shoulders back, chest out, right? And uh, there was this discussion about how this is a posture of dominance. And it is, right? It is a dominant posture, Right? It presents presence, right? But it's also a very disciplined posture. And the point that Jordan Peterson was making was that it is a posture of competence. People can fake confidence. You can bullshit about your competence, but the moment you act, all bets are off, right? So... Right. But it could be it could be a posture of arrogance. Yeah, see, no, because if you ever studied like facial micro expressions or body language cues or anything like that. Right. There is a huge difference, huge difference between confidence and arrogance. Hatim Sensei carried himself for the most part in a very confident way. 
which is what allowed shit to brew and grow in the Bujinkan. People just felt that they could do whatever because he was always, you know, very accommodating, very wind-like personality. But he didn't walk around like a lot of grandmasters in a lot of other martial arts styles. Chest puffed out and got this little swagger kind of thing going on and looking down, you know, chins up, right, which is a very dominant position as well. Looking down, even a short person, right? If you stand tall and lift your chin, right, like your chin's being lifted toward the ceiling, you have to, even to look straight, you're, the perception is you're looking down through your eye sockets, even if you're shorter than the person you're dealing with, right? But that's an arrogant pose because it becomes too much. It becomes, it becomes brash, bold, right? But, he, you know, all the master teachers that I've ever trained with, right, carry themselves, right, there's always, like, they'll drop jokes in the middle of a lesson or whatever, right? To the Western mind, that now becomes playful and, you know, well, it's not as serious as it could be, right? So that's why in the military, you know, they don't, they don't crack jokes with you until weeks and weeks and weeks into your basic training. Right. Almost almost at the end. Or they wait until you're in tech school or in uh, what we called um, AIT, advanced individual training, which is whatever your job's going to be. Right. Because you're still in that training phase. Uber discipline, that kind of stuff. Right. But now they can crack some jokes because you've gained control of your mind and can snap to when you're supposed to be. In that mode. And you can go from relaxed to that kind of thing, right? Um, that's one of the purposes of certain meditations, right, uh, in Mikyo and, and other traditions, right? Being able to switch back and forth between experiential and play and those kind of things and uber-focused with no residual between the two, right? So you don't get stuck. It's part of controlling your own mind, right? But there's this idea, right, I don't think people – Think about things in these terms. And language is, is a very powerful uh, directional kind of gauge, right? Like signpost. I was I was equate kata and certain forms and things like that. And and lessons within the art as being like road signs, right? I don't care if they're the big ones on a highway or the ones at the corner of an intersection in a town, street signs, right? They're, they're pointing you in a direction, right? But they're not making the steps for you, right? So, but words like competence, competence breeds confidence. Confidence has little to nothing to do with competence. I know lots of confident people. They're sure of themselves, but they're wrong. And I don't mean they're wrong because we have a different opinion. Their facts are fucked. I'm sorry. Their facts are wrong. Hopefully YouTube doesn't ding us for that one. Right? Right? You know that facts don't care about your feelings thing? Right? The fact is I do care about your feelings. How about that one? Right? But if we're talking about very specific things, 
Like I would never drive across a bridge because an engineer felt like that pylon was in the right place. You better have done your damn math. And you better know your physics and all that shit, right? It's kind of like I don't want to go to a doctor that, you know, what do you call a, what do you call a, 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 a medical student that passed by the skin of his teeth um, for medical school? Doctor. <laughs> Just like you call all the other ones, right? <laughs> so competence, right? That's why I'm always talking about skill proficiency and not just learning a technique. What is your proficiency level with any given technique? Knowing something and being able to use something under pressure are two completely different things. But both of them can breed confidence. Okay. Anyway, full stuff. What else? What else? Jason Reinhardt said good versus evil. And Tori followed up and said Sword of Doom is a good movie from the 60s. Oh. Well, thanks for the uh, reference. If I have any extra time to watch something like that, um, I'll, I'll give it a look. Yeah. Sword of Doom. Why do some of you guys always gravitate toward things like words like it's not everybody. It's, it's the guy thing, right? Doom and Conquer and the Avengers. Because that's what our fucking job is, right? Eradicate men. Let's see how it happens. <laughs> Some people better freaking jack up their testosterone, right? I saw a meme on, on Facebook at one point. I think it was it was one of the veterans uh pages that I follow because I'm on, on ones that uh, uh, served in, in Germany in the 80s and uh, old school military police because they changed um, they changed the MOS numbers and stuff like that, um, that kind of stuff. And of course, you know, we're all older and stuff. And this one uh, was um, I think it was popular when, you know, like, but, you know, shitstorm was going on that we had to deal with um, Middle East and stuff like that. Right. And somebody posted this thing that you know, um, instead of sending young guys uh, to battle who, you know, only joined the military for a college degree or a paycheck or whatever, send us. We're already trained, right? We're already sore and angry at the world, right? We're probably already armed, right? And, you know, give us a reason to be pissed off in a given direction, right? <laughs> it's just It just ran on like that, like, you know, you have a whole bunch of money and, you know, we're already cranky in the morning anyway. So anyway, so uh, any, anything else? Anybody else? No, sir. That was it. Anyway, we'll see how popular this uh, this gets in recording mode um, just because it mentions sword. Right? Sword makes everybody <laughs> all warm and fuzzy and stuff. Right. Um, yeah, so the, I mean, the, the amount of study I've done cross cultures about the sword and its placement um, in this idea of not just warriorship, but manhood and, and all kinds of things. It's, it's pretty, pretty interesting. Um, I even, I, I had to double check the information, but I encountered information along the way that, um, and again, I, it's, it's been such a long time since I learned it. Um, maybe I'm, maybe I looked it up and don't remember. But um, I think I saw somewhere that uh, I think it was in 
England, but my, my Brits will have to be able to tell me uh, whether this is true or not, right? That the sword that a knight is knighted with, right, they receive, right? So it's not always, sometimes it's with the ruler's sword or whatever, but often it's, um, the sword is actually given to them, right? Because there's now a connection between the blade and the knight. Interesting stuff, huh? Anyway, um, and even if it's not true, it should be. <laughs> Who doesn't want another sword? <laughs> I'll take one. Anyway, so, um, yeah, uh, I'm done. If, if anybody else, anybody, questions? Just open questions for a minute or three? Anything? Fat old bald guy will answer your questions. So, so, again, this came up not too long ago, right? You're fat. You're, yeah, but I'm one of the small percentage in the art or across the freaking globe of arts, right? Of people that have actually used what they're teaching against actual violent people on the street. Not just defaulted to something else, right? Or mixed a whole bunch of stuff together, which is fine too. I don't care how you win a fight, right? I like when people go, that, that, that Musha Dori thing, that was, that works in a dojo, but wouldn't work a shit on the street. Hmm. Really? Interesting. <laughs> uh, dislocated at least two shoulders and uh, just the number of people I put down with a friggin' Mushadori alone. Holy shit. Anyway. And yes, you can do Hanbo things with a shorter nightclub, nightstick. You just have to be in, a, in the right position because if you're shorter than your attacker, if the weapon is shorter than shorter, longer, whatever, right? The fulcrum and, and the, the, the pieces are in different places, right? The thickness changes things, right? Um, like if I'm using a pen, okay? It doesn't matter that I would lever uh, an arm or something or whatever with the middle of a stick or a kubaton or whatever, right? If I'm using a big pen, they flex too much. So I want to be on the, on the, uh, the, last 25, 30% of the end, right? And holding it differently. So I reinforce that, right? It's very different. Okay. But that's learning on the other side of the mandala, right? Experiencing it running through the technique or running the technique through different circumstances because the intent is to really understand the weapon and not just learn a technique. Anyway, anything else? Uh, Jason Reinhardt said this is the best one you have done that I've watched. Well, watch more. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thanks, man. I appreciate it. Uh, let's see. Well, if that's it, then I don't want to belabor things. Um, I'm going to go do other stuff because, you know, it's only not even 930 yet. I've got other things to do. Right? So. All right, um, that's it. I will talk to everybody again next time. If everybody, um, let's see, let's do this. Let's make next week's. Let's do it another open Q and A. So, okay, 
I'm either going to save myself a whole bunch of time, and it will be the shortest kuden in the history of kuden, or this will be that tip of the boot love and get people to freaking speak up. Okay. Um, the last two that we've done afterwards or last minute, somebody always sends me one, right? Last time, I think three people sent me, right? Oh, I got caught up with everything and I, I, I'm really sorry. Uh, I, I, I didn't get a chance to write it out and everything. Um, um, I'll do better next time and. Okay. Just keep delaying your training. Just keep delaying your your uh, leveling up of your skill proficiency. So skin off my teeth. Not that it might skin. My, not that my teeth have skin on, but I don't think I ate anybody lately. Anyway, so <laughs> just you know. People dream and fantasize about being in ancient Japan or, you know, they go to the Ren Fair and, you know, fantasize about living during that time. I wouldn't want to live during that time. Holy shit. No dentistry. You're riddled with lice. There's no freaking deodorant. Right. There's a threat of death every single freaking day. No running toilets and stuff like that. Right. That's where the terms piss pot and chamber pots and all, all that came from. Right. That's where overcoats and, and then the hats and stuff or certain types of hats came from and stuff. Cause people were throwing that shit out of their freaking second story window into the streets, the pestilence and rat. No, right. And ancient Japan, really? You want to be in ancient Japan? Seriously. Pulling some of the shit that a lot of people get away with in today's society. They'd have been beheaded a long time ago. You'd be lucky if they made it out of childhood. Right. But then, you know, it's the benefit of it being a dream. It's just a dream. All right. All right. That's it. I'm going to wrap this up. I will talk to everybody again uh, next time. So, uh, oh, that last statement. Right. Yeah. Life giving sword. Not knocking anybody that doesn't deserve it. Okay. So if it's not you, it shouldn't have stung. Of course, it would also wouldn't sting if somebody was a sociopath and wasn't connected anyway. But that's okay. They might have an edge up. Because they don't have to feel good to get something done. They don't have to be motivated to get something done. They simply have to want to get it done. All right, James, thank you very much. Uh, I'm assuming we're chatting right after this, so I'm going to go ahead and wrap this up, and I will talk to everybody again next week, I hope, if the questions come in, on Kuden. Get more of Kuden Radio. Subscribe through your favorite podcasting site or join our clan of serious modern warriors at OnlineNinjaAcademy.com.